Free justification by faith in Christ. It's one of the bedrock principles of the Christian faith, right? Free justification by faith in Christ. The Apostle Paul was very well, well aware of this, and um, that one of the main reasons he wrote the, Apostle, the Epistle of Galatians, which is the book we're going to be looking at a little bit this morning, was because of this. Uh, because after he left the churches in Galatia, some impostors, some Jewish Christian fanatics had moved in and had perverted Paul's message of free justification in Christ. Okay, so Paul went to these churches in Galatia, which today is located in modern-day Turkey. Okay, so just to put that in perspective, where they are. And he went to all these different churches, and he set them up, set up these churches. And then after he had left, so these different people had come in, these imposters, he calls them, and they had started to pervert the things that he said was true. For example, free justification in Christ Jesus. They weren't very nice about it either. In every way, they sought to undermine the authority of Paul. They in essence said to the Galatians, you have no right to think highly of Paul. He was the last one to turn to Christ. We've actually seen him. We've heard him preach. You should listen to us. Paul came later. He's not as worthy as we are. You should know that's a sign right there of a deception, right? You're building yourself up. You're tearing somebody else down. They're saying, listen to us. Don't listen to him. But these false teachers, as I said before, had fallen back and had retaken many of the rules and regulations of strict Judaism. And they believed you had to work towards these things that you, you needed to be saved with. Somehow the Galatian people were somehow taken back by these arguments, and they started to accept these arguments, and the result was exactly the opposite of what Paul wanted. It's what his opposition wanted. They started to believe these false teachers coming in. So Paul had to address these very issues. Paul's authority and his doctrine were called into question. Is what Paul's saying really true? They didn't know. They didn't understand anymore. This concept of free justification has been a problem that hasn't gone away throughout church history. If you look at some of the things throughout church history, uh, we see it popping up over and over again. One example would be in the 4th century. Uh, you may have heard of a popular church figure at that time, a man named Pelagius. He lived in uh, approximately 350 to 400 uh, AD. And what he did was he couldn't get past that concept of free grace either. His basic philosophy was, he would ask people, he says, what is sin? Sin is to disobey God. Okay, by that. What is salvation? Salvation is to obey God. And at first that sounds good, but think about it. Does anybody live up to the law? No. So if you're not obeying God, then you're not saved. Hmm. So if you just obey him is what he said. You can do it. And if you can't do it, just try harder. Don't be lazy. Uh -huh. That was the philosophy that he came. Pelagius believed that man had not been entirely corrupted by Adam's fall. And that mankind could, by his own free will, control and do works that would please God and therefore be saved. He essentially believed that man is basically good and moral, and even pagans can enter heaven through their virtuous moral actions. Hmm. Mm. Not good. Many people today still hold to that reasoning, don't they? How many times have you heard it said, oh, she was such a good person, I know where she ended up, right? Mm. How many times have we heard that? It's as if that alone is the ticket to heaven. About that same time in church his history as Pelagius, 
another forefather came by the name of Augustine. You've probably heard of him. He understood the concept of God's grace, and he came against the teachings of Pelagius. He said, essentially, that man cannot just try harder to obtain salvation, but that it was by the grace of God we are saved and justified. Our position today. But even today, the religious world cannot decipher the concept of free justification, can they? The gospel goes opposite of religious wisdom of the world. You speak to people of other religions and they don't get this concept of free grace. I gotta do something. I gotta do something. It's like the scales we talked about, right? The scales. How many bad things did I do? Oh, I did a couple good things. Oh, a couple bad things. And they try to balance those scales and try to get more good than evil. As a result, we get this paradoxical situation. The gospel supplies the world with the salvation of Christ, the peace in our hearts. And every other blessing, and just for that, the world seems to hate the gospel. doesn't make any sense. We're giving them grace. We're giving them peace. We're giving them salvation in the gospel. But just for that, the world seems to hate the very gospel. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 1. Read the first few verses there. Galatians chapter 1, it's right after 2 Corinthians. Right after 2 Corinthians, Galatians chapter 1. Okay, here we go. It says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stop there. Now remember our context. We said that these, these imposters or these false teachers had come in and they tried to infiltrate these churches that Paul had set up. Paul's opposition was accusing him of proclaiming himself an apostle. They even, they tried to downgrade his character. They tried to say he wasn't an apostle. What does Paul say in the very first line here? Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So right away, Paul makes it known his place in the ministry. Rather, he wasn't chosen by mankind, but he was chosen and put there by God. God the Father, who raised up Christ from the dead. He comes with the full authority of an ambassador. You'll notice that he's giving welcome from God. He's giving welcome from Christ as an ambassador of God. He says, nor did other men give me the authority to make me an apostle. God himself did it. It wasn't by men. It wasn't for men. It was from God. To possess knowledge, he's saying, is not enough. One needs to be sent or needs to be called by God. Notice also the mention of Christ's resurrection here in verse 1. Paul uses this as a continuous theme throughout this epistle, as we will see. In verse 2, I, he, he says, to all, the men and brethren which are, to all the brethren which are with me 
and all the brethren which are with me to the churches of Galatia. As I said before, Galatia is considered today the country of modern-day Turkey. And this letter was meant to be passed around to all the churches there to be read. So Paul sets up all these churches, and then he goes to another church, he goes to another church, he goes to another place. So he leaves the area of Galatia. These false impostors come in. Paul writes this letter to the Galatian churches, and it's expected to be passed around to all these other churches to be read by him. That's how they did things. They call it a circular epistle. Paul's trying to credit his ministry while trying to discredit his detractors, right? Notice he also says in verse 2, and all the brethren which are with me. That's pretty good too, right? What's he trying to do? He's trying to build up his credibility, right? I do not stand alone. I'm not here on my own making up my own rules. The brothers stand with me. He's try- they, the others affirm him. They affirm his ministry. So Paul founded all these churches, and now they're being polluted. Martin Luther made an interesting comment about this particular situation about Paul, and he believes that he believed that Paul's opposers were really exhibiting their weakness or really their, their cowardness, in that they only went to Paul's established churches. He thought that if they were really Christians, why don't they go out there where the, where the word was needed to the unchurched? In other words, it's much easier for them to go to a place that's already set up and now try to tear it down and change things. Why don't you, if you're really a Christian, if you're really trying to do something, a work of God, go to a place that's not developed, that needs a church, that needs to hear the word of God. In verse 3, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he's speaking as an ambassador. And these are commonly an opening way that Paul speaks. Once again, the theme of grace. And that's a big thing here. Grace and peace. Grace is the key point that he will continue to argue for. Paul speaks as Christ's ambassador, and he wishes the kind of grace and peace that only God can offer. Not worldly peace, which is fleeting. And comes and goes. Paul does not lose the focus of his his preaching. In verse 4 he says, Christ who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. Who gave himself for our sins. Nothing of human merit. Again, he's going against what they were trying to bring in. The, the Christian Jews that were trying to fall back and go back to those things that I have to work my way to salvation. It's as if many times people make light of sin. It's as if, again, some balancing act that we can do to try to erase the bad things that we do by the good things we do. But it's not until we realize that Christ has overcome sin by his own death that we begin to have the peace that Paul describes here. In verse 4, notice again that he says he gave himself for our sins. Our is an important word here. Many times we can justify God forgiving the sins of this one or that one. Like I said before, oh, she was such a good person. Many times in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, we can understand and we can justify God forgiving the sins of certain people. Someone very holy. But when it comes to ourselves, we say, but me? How can God forgive me? Especially when I feel so low and so bad because of the things that I did. But like every other matter matter of faith, we can't go by our feelings, right? 
We need to realize that our sin is gone when Christ forgives us. We must trust in the fact that Christ did it for us regardless of how we feel. Paul also speaks of this present age or this present evil age that he says, according to the will of God, our Father, this present evil age or Satan's world, remember the God of this world. A person's failure to recognize that it is only Christ and not by merit is under the deception of Satan and this present age. And Paul is rebuking those false apostles. Now, let me ask you a question. Who's worse? The ISIS soldier that goes around and kills everybody? Or the ISIS leader that teaches them to go around and kill everybody? Hmm. I think most of us would probably say the leader, right? Get to the root of the problem. In fact, we remember what Jesus' brother James said in, in his epistle. He said, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow brethren, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Paul realizes, he realizes this when he goes on to rebuke the Galatian churches. Who is the guilty party and who is not? And like a father, we're going to see here, he, he urges his children to come back to God. Look at verse 6, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I marvel that you were so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As I have said before and say now again, if any man preach any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. He says it twice. He says it twice. He's making a point with that. Paul says, I marvel at you, Galatians. He's writing to his children. He's writing to his, his children in the Spirit. He says, I marvel. He indicates his sorrow and his displeasure at the same time with this word. But really, it's, it's fairly gentle rebuke. It's like he's saying, I'm surprised at you that you would do this. I'm surprised at you, my children. Remember, his goal is to win them back to Christ, not to push them away further. We all know that when we're dealing with children, that's the way we have to do things sometimes. But Paul, on the other hand, with the imposters themselves, he's not so gentle. He condemns them. And in fact, he condemns them twice, he says. Soon, so soon removed from him, or deserting the one that called you, the one who called you, is Christ. And he says, how quickly you have done this. Paul must have been thinking in his mind, you know, it took me years of labor to set up all these churches, to go around and to travel. You can imagine the hardship, you know. We, took, we think about travel plans today, and it's a pain in the neck to arrange flights and, you know, cars and all that stuff. Imagine the travel then. And he went from here and to there and to there. And we read about it in the book of Acts and all the places that he went to, right? It took him years to set up all these churches. And then to him, he's thinking, how quickly you've come. How quickly you've come, all these years of labor to set up and nurture these churches, but now, relatively quickly, these imposters have come in and done great damage to the church. It reminds us of the words of Jesus when he talked about sowing tares among the wheat, right? How Satan does that. Verse 7, he says, which is not another or not another gospel. 
Not another gospel. What does gospel mean? Gospel means good news. Right? What they're preaching you is not good news, folks. I'm giving you grace. The grace of God. They're trying to tell you to earn your salvation. That's not good news. But there's a little bit of truth in it. It's much easier to fool people when your lie is mixed with a little bit of truth. When we have to give the baby some drops of medicine or some vitamins, what do we do? We mix it in with the bottle, right? Mix it in all together. It's just easier to do it that way. Don't even notice it. That's what they were doing here, mixing their nonsense in with some of the truth. But the truth really is either Christ lives and the law dies, or the law lives and Christ dies. He's telling them to make a choice. Make a choice. He says, even if we change our minds and we negate what we previously taught you, let us be accursed. Don't believe it. Even if, all right, you know, we're just humans. Let's say an angel comes down from heaven and teaches you something different. Don't believe that either. Don't believe it. Paul's trying to establish value. The gospel of redemption. Unmerited, uninitiated by us. But by God. But by God who did it for us. So crucial that the God of this world will do anything to try to steal it. And Paul repeats himself and says, let them be accursed. Substitution. Substitution. It can be a good thing. Like in the case of our salvation. Or it can be a very deceptive thing. Like in the bait and switch of an advertisement. Come and get our low, low price on this car. You've never seen anything like it. And you get down there. Oh, you want a warranty with this. It's going to cost you more. Mm -hmm. By the time you're done, oh, you want the tires with this. (laughs) You want the steering wheel with this. By the time you're done, the price is just as high, if not more than anything else you could have come. It's a bait and switch. Substitution. Substitution. We read about a big substitution that took place in the Old Testament. You remember the stories of Isaac, Jacob, Esau, Rebekah? Isaac was getting quite old. He knew that his time was was short. He was getting close to the end of his life. He told his oldest son Esau to go out and to hunt some food for him. And to cook it for him just the way he liked it. And then he would give him his rightful blessing as the eldest son. Mm -hmm. Rebecca overheard what was going on. And she came up with a plan for her younger son, Jacob, to steal the brother's rightful blessing. As you remember, Esau was a big, burly, hairy man of the outdoors. Jacob was not. It wasn't going to be easy to fool their father, Isaac. Let's read about it. Keep your place in Galatians because we're going to go back there one more time. But go to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27. Genesis 27, let's start in verse 15. 1 5. 15. And Rebekah took 
goodly raiment or clothing of her eldest son Esau, which was, which was with her in her house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and bread which she had prepared into the hand of Jacob, her son. And he came to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn son. I have done according as you have bid me. Arise, I pray you, sit and eat of my venison, that your soul may bless me. And Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. And Isaac said to Jacob, Come near, I pray, that I may feel you, my son, whether you be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's. And so he blessed him. Stop there. Deception. Substitution. Verse 15, she dressed him in Esau's clothing. He was an outdoorsman. Probably had a certain scent to it. An outdoorsman. He was a big, burly, hairy man. In verse 16, she covered his, his hands and, and his neck with the sheepskin. Just how hairy was this dude? <laughs> Uh, instead of Esau, they should have named him Lon Chaney or something. <laughs> the wolf man. Oh, man. Verse 17, And she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared to the hand, into the hand of her son Jacob. Now notice who prepared it. She gave him food and bread that she had prepared. Yeah. Isaac asked his son to go out and do it. Yeah. That's why he was suspicious that it all happened so quickly. The whole thing was just an incredible deception. Who are you? Isaac said. I am Esau. Lie number one. Then what does he say? I have done as you have told me. Lie number two. <laughs> then he even tries to pull God into it, right? Verse 20, he says, and he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. He even tries to pull God into it. Yeah, that's going to help. And we see some suspicion, right? Isaac said, the voice, the voice is Jacob's. But yeah, okay. Feels like he saw, and he fell for the goatskin trick, right? All right. Now let's look at this symbolically. Let's say that this side of the room represents an honorable man, okay? An honorable man. You try to do what's right. Good character. You're true to your wife. You pay your taxes. You give to charity. You really try to do the right thing, okay? That's this side. Now let's look at this side. Let's say this side represents a dishonorable man. Okay? Really only out for yourself. Don't treat your wife very well. Cheat on your taxes. And you wouldn't even give to charity if your kid was the poster child of it or something. <laughs> now, these two kids come to me. I'm their father. They come to me for their blessing. They stand before the judgment of their father. Who's the father going to be more pleased with? With this one, right? The one who tried to do the right thing. We could say that Esau tried to live out the law of his father. Jacob did not, right? But Jacob 
didn't deserve Esau's blessing, right? right? But what did he do? He clothed himself in his brother's clothing and became pleasing to his father. That's exactly what Paul says happens to us when we put on Christ. We don't deserve the blessing. Christ is the one who lived out the law. He did everything right. He deserves all the glory and the blessing. But we see the substitution. Vicariously, we see the substitution. What did he get? He got beat up. He got crucified. He got death on a cross. Vicariously, we get the blessing. The forgiveness, salvation. Once again, I, I, I read about Martin Luther, and he said that he compared it like to wedding vows. All that I am, all that I have, I give to you. And all that you have, all that you have, you give to me. We give our sin, we give our unrighteousness. But Christ gives us his holiness, his grace, his righteousness, and salvation. Now, we talked before about teaching and teachers and how important it is to be taught correctly, be taught the right things. We have an awesome witness today in the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God. And oftentimes I speak to you about its reliability, its accuracy, and the way that it's been preserved for us. But picture for a minute having been taught by the living Word himself. I mean, this is great what we have. But picture being taught by the living word himself. Wouldn't that be an even bigger privilege than having the Holy Scriptures that we have? Of course it would. Let me sit down with Christ and let him teach it to me. Wow. How awesome would that be? Go back to Galatians. Back to Galatians chapter 1. We'll read three more verses there and we'll wrap up. Verse 10. For now I persuade, do I persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's stop. He asks a rhetorical question. Do I now seek to persuade men or to please men or to please God? Of course he's trying to please God. It's made obvious by the work that he did, made obvious by the afflictions that he faced. You cannot serve God and still please man in many cases. That's a valuable lesson we all need to learn. No matter how mature we get, we need to learn that lesson. Even many mature Christians today cannot live with that. We need the acceptance or the approval of each other. Often we judge our own self-worth by the acceptance or the approval of each other. Okay, he says. So if it's not man-made, then what is it? What other choice is it? It's God-made. Paul learned his gospel not in the usual way through hearing and reading and studying. He received his gospel by special revelation from Christ himself. 
And not only did it originate from God, but he received it from God directly. No human middleman to corrupt things and mess things up. Paul's accusers, uh, they, they claim that his, his independence from the church of Jerusalem was uh, you know, making him like a rogue or imposter minister, a fake, doing things in secret. But Paul frames this in a different way. He agrees that, that he's independent, but he frames it in a positive way. He says, despite his independence, the leaders at Jerusalem all support his call and his confirming the legitimacy of his ministry. I'm not alone. I'm standing with the brothers of the church. So we see that Paul has to defend himself in his ministry. And like every other manner of faith, we need to see that we can't go by our feelings when it comes to having our sins forgiven. We must trust in the fact that Christ did for us regardless of how we feel about it. But I still feel condemned. I still feel bad. I did this. I did this. It's gone. It's gone. We've got to receive it like every other manner of faith. And furthermore, we can't just try harder to obtain salvation because it is by the grace of God alone that we are justified and we're saved. Those imposters were trying to preach another gospel, the subtleness of using a gospel with some truth in it, but it is mixed with their lies. We saw the example of Jacob and Esau. We could say that Esau lived out the law of his father, but Jacob did not. Jacob didn't deserve Esau's blessing, but he clothed himself in his brother's clothing, and he was pleasing to his father. We surely don't deserve the blessings of salvation and adoption. Only Christ lived out that law perfectly. He was sinless. He deserves the blessing. We do not. What did he get? Beat up, crucified, and death on a cross. We received the blessing of forgiveness and salvation. And God is more than happy to do it for us. Lastly, we saw how important it is to be taught correctly, to be taught the right things. We have a great privilege by being taught by the Holy Scriptures of God, but Paul had an even bigger privilege of being taught by the living Word himself. Paul was a good example. Many mature Christians today cannot live without the acceptance and the approval of each other. But Paul knew that he was accepted of God and sent of God. We often judge our own self-worth by the acceptance and the approval of others. Don't fall into that trap. Your worth has already been proven by Christ. He gave all that he could just for you. That's how much you are worth. Amen? Amen.